Well, happy Easter, everybody. It's great to be together with you today. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Owen. And I'm Hope. My, my name is Owen. Uh, and we are all three pastors here at Fuquay Arena United Methodist Church. We're so glad uh, you've chosen to worship with us on this Easter. Uh, we know that uh, it's not always easy to be here on a Sunday morning, so we're glad that you're able to worship with us uh, with us now. If this uh, is uh, the first time you're here, the first time in a long time, uh, we'd love a chance to journey along with you. You can text us at the number that's there at the bottom of your screen. We'd love to follow up with you. Uh, if this is a place that you worship regularly with us and you'd like to make an offering to support the mission ministry of our church, you can do that at fvumc.org slash give. Uh, but as we enter into worship together today on Easter, uh, we'd like to invite you to hear from, uh, uh, from these words of scripture from Matthew's gospel. The next day, that is, the day after preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember what this imposter said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise again. Therefore, command the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may go and steal him away and tell the people he has been raised. And the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went with the tomb and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descending from heavens came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guard shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. And he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, Go on to Galilee, and there you will see me. And together we join our voices proclaiming uh, the ancient creed on Easter morning. He is risen. He, he is, is risen, risen indeed. indeed. He is risen. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Cristo vive. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Well, hey, everybody. Happy Easter to you, all of you. Uh, so glad to be with you as we kick off this uh, Easter season together with all of its triumph and good news and glory. Um, and I know that uh, I know that there are many uh, of you. I know that there are many of us here together uh, in this moment. Um, and, and yet, um, if I could be real honest with you, uh, I have one person and her story in mind, uh, on this, uh, this Easter day. Um, and, uh, you know, her story is not your story. It's not my story. Like we've got our own stories. Um, but I, I think, and I hope this morning is good news for her. And if it's good news for her, uh, I think it's good news for for us too. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were hanging out together. She's a friend. Uh, there were four of us, two couples. Uh, we were sitting together on the back porch, uh, laughing, telling stories, and catching up. You know, as as we love to do. Um, and uh, we laughed a lot, and uh, we got weepy together. Um, it was something that I think we all wanted to talk about, but it's still hard. Uh, it was still hard to talk about. She uh, does great and beautiful work in her job. Um, she doesn't work in a church, but she easily does more ministry in a day you know, than I do in, in months. Uh, and uh, she works with kids. She works with kids who, uh, who need an advocate. 
She works with kids who need to love them enough to call them and hold them accountable. Uh, she works with kids who need someone to help them dream and imagine a different future than the one that they are living towards. Uh, and she just does a fantastic job of that. She's a person of uh, deep and profound hope and faith. And she brings all that to bear uh, on the work that she does. And so as she shared her story, um, the defeat in her voice, uh, it really just kind of rattled me. Um, uh, one of her students um, took the life of two more and almost a third. Uh, and so uh, in a 30-second phone call, uh, she had to digest news that came to us on the TV uh, with no names and no faces, but what for for her very real people with very real stories um, of, of four lives, in, in effect, ruined or lost and or lost. Um, and she was just talking about like how she felt like they were making some progress and some, some headway together and just really felt like they were so close um, to choosing an alternative future uh, than the one they were living towards. Uh, and she said, she said, I just, I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle. Uh, and, and I don't even know that it was so much the words. I mean, who would blame her, right, for feeling that way? Um, I don't know if it was so much the words as uh, the tone in her voice when she said them. Uh, but here's the good news uh, on Easter morning. Here's the good news. God does some of God's very best work in what appears to us to be losing battles. Like that's, that's what God does, right? I mean, just take Jesus' story. Uh, he was born into obscurity uh, in a barn, um, immediately had to flee to a strange and foreign country and live as a refugee, uh, moved back finally after the threat of his death was over uh, and moved into a town called Nazareth in an area called the Galilee. Uh, it's like the sticks. Uh, Nazareth, their town slogan was what good can come from Nazareth. I don't know if they put it on a water tower or not. It's like the, the Eeyore of towns, like Ugh, what good could come from us. Um, that's where he grew up. Now, he finally goes public with his ministry about age 30 um, and the dude can preach and people are listening and they're following like, oh my gosh, this guy's teaching as one who has real authority. This is amazing. And then he lets everybody down. He is like way too peaceful for the militant folks who want to kick out the Roman Empire. And he is way too militant for the people who want to placate the Roman Empire so that it can benefit us. I mean, he disappoints uh, everybody. And then he dies, killed. He's lynched by the pure embodiment of evil and justice and oppression, the Roman Empire. Uh, he's hung up like a common, common criminal. Um, a couple of years ago, we had uh, ants in our kitchen. And I tried everything to get rid of them and I couldn't. So I just started smashing them uh, on my countertop and I would just leave them there as like a sign to all the other ants. This is not a place you want to be. Uh, and that's what Pilate did. Uh, he would just leave crosses uh, after they hung people up. He would just leave crosses like dotting the skyline, right? So people would know this is not a place you want to mess with power. That's how they killed. That's how they killed uh, Jesus. God was fighting a losing battle, it would seem. Um, and I think the disciples knew what that was like. I mean, I don't think it's far, too far of a stretch uh, that they knew what uh, losing a, a, a fighting losing battle feels like on Good Friday, right? They've left everything uh, for three years. They didn't go on a date, right? They put their whole lives on hold. Uh, they uh, left their jobs, right? Just left their careers, uh, left their families, burned a bunch of bridges. I mean, who's going to hire you when you just drop your nets and walk off the job in the middle of the day? It's hard to get a job after that, right? And particularly in a place where everybody already knows who you are. Um, and then like put all their hope and all their faith in their friend who they really believed was the Messiah, the one who was going to set them free and liberate them. Um, and then the one that he was supposed to liberate them from the Roman empire is the one that kills them. They watch 
uh, their friend die right in front of their faces. They watched all of their hope. They put hope in the past tense. In the days after Jesus' death, they said, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem uh, Israel. Uh, and then Paul, uh, Paul even gets in on the losing battle, you know, not to be outdone. Paul, who was probably there and like voted when they decided to kill Jesus. Um, Paul, later after conversion experience, ends up like testifying on behalf of Jesus all around the, the Greco-Roman world. And um, he writes a letter uh, in, uh, it's called Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, but uh, this is a letter to uh, his friends in a town called Corinth. Some of his very best friends in the world are there um, and their church is like in the process of being ripped apart. Um, he's watching his work, his life, his ministry just kind of slip through his fingers in slow motion at a distance and there's nothing that he can do about it. You can kind of hear the losing battle fatigue like in his voice uh, as he writes in, uh, in chapter 15. He says, now, I'd love to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which you are being saved. If you hold firmly on to the message that I proclaimed to you, this can be true unless you've come to believe it in vain, like unless you've given up on this message that I taught you. That's what it seems like to him. I handed on to you as of first importance what I had in turn received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and to the 12 disciples. Uh, and then he appeared to more than 500 people, brothers and sisters, uh, at one time. Most of them are still alive. If you need to go and ask them, some have died, he says, but go corroborate the story. If you think I've been telling you something in vain, like go listen, this happened. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he says, he even appeared to me. And skipping down, he says, whether it was any of these people I've just named or I, right? Whether it was I or they, we have proclaimed so that you could come to believe. Now, if Christ is proclaimed to you as raised from the dead, how can some of you be saying there's no resurrection of the dead? Like, how is this even possible? Um, Paul is just flabbergasted that people are giving up on the thing that they had come to trust and to believe. He's watching it all slip away. God's answers to all of these things that feel like losing battles. God's answer to every one of these stories is one word. Easter, right? Easter morning is the greatest double negative ever lived. Paul goes on to write uh, a little bit more at the end of this whole section that I just started reading. Uh, and in my words, he says, your work and your life are not for nothing, right? It's a double negative, the greatest double negative ever lived, your work, your life, they're not for nothing. Here's how he says it. He says, um, he says, even death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? I mean, Rome, right, who killed Jesus, but the greatest power that humankind has is the power to take the life of another. We have no greater weapon than that. Um, our weapons can take the life of more people, but our weapons, like that's the worst thing that they can do is to kill someone. It's the greatest weapon of man. And he says the Roman empire just levied the greatest weapon that they have. And like, how did that turn out for them, right? Where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? Death has been swallowed up in the victory of Easter morning. He says, therefore, my beloved, the ones whom I love, therefore be steadfast, be immovable, be always excelling, always excellent in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain, he says. In Christ, there is no losing battle. 
One of my favorite theologians says it this way, the resurrection is the ultimate answer to the nagging question of whether one's life and work have been in vain. What Paul is saying here is that the victory has already been won over any of the powers, all of the powers that cripple the earth and with it, the humans who show up to be God's image bearers in the world. That victory has already happened, right? In Christ, there are no losing battles anymore. Now, we face some pretty terrifying things, um, and I, I don't want to minimize that at all. Um, we face hard things. We face things that feel impossible, insurmountable. Um, and I, I don't want to take, take anything away uh, from that. Uh, it's just not an attempt to be Pollyanna. Um, and when we're standing toe-to-toe with those things, like their shadow is cast along over us and, and it can be cold there. Like, I, I get that, right? I think I, have, I feel like I've lived that reality. Um, and maybe it's not in that moment that we can own this hope that Paul is talking about in its fullness. Like maybe it's in those moments in that chilly air, right? That uh, it's hard for us to, to hold honestly onto the hope uh, that Paul is proclaiming here. Um, and maybe that's the gift of an Easter morning. That at Easter we can be reminded, right, um, and more than any other season, more than any other time, uh, that we can have a break from all, all, all that we carry because that victory has already been won. The worst thing is never the last thing. In Christ, there is no losing battle. At Easter, we can remember that there is a profound hope and a powerful God whose love and care for you for us, is greater than our ability to comprehend it. And, and when we feel like we're up against something alone, we can be reminded that God shows up over and over and over again. And when we feel like we're not big enough to take on the things that we're standing toe-to-toe with, God stands up and stands with us. And when we feel like we can't keep going, like it's just too much work, it's too painful, it's too hard, it's too much, God holds us up. And when we feel like we've been asked to carry something that is just too big for us to carry, that God lifts it up. And Paul says, if you need a reminder of this reality, go ask somebody, they're still alive. Like, go find a friend who's lived through it to the other side, who can remind you of this hope, even uh, in the scariest, darkest, toe to toeiest sort of moments. The things we thought had so much power over us turn out not to be as big and as bad as we thought, for evil has nothing more that it can take from us. Go ask somebody, he says. Um, it feels weird to talk about Christmas on Easter. Sometimes it feels weird to talk about Easter at Christmas, quite frankly. But uh, if you were with us uh, back at Christmas, or if you come next Christmas, uh, you will hear us talk about it again, because I have just been captivated uh, by a poem. It's by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who was a household name uh, at the time of his writing. Um, and because of a lot that he had been up against his life, uh, loss of his wife, um, he just felt like he was fighting a losing battle. And um, his son ran off in the middle of the night uh, to go uh, join up with the army uh, to fight in the Civil War after he had really protested against that quite a bit. Um, and he got word shortly thereafter uh, that his son had been wounded um, and he could just kind of picture his son um, dying in a hospital somewhere, God knows where. So he hops on a train uh, and he goes to find his kid and he's searching from hospital to hospital, from bed to bed, looking for his son. Um, and while that's happening, it's Christmas. And so you've got all these beautiful, wonderful carols playing words of song of peace and hope and all this sort of stuff. And he 
just becomes embittered by that, right? He says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the world's repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men, and thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Like, they're just playing. It doesn't even mean anything. Like, look what's happening in front of us. Like, we're fighting a losing battle here, and nobody's paying attention to it. I'm experiencing something that feels insurmountable, and these bells just keep going on playing till ringing, singing on its way. The world revolve from night to day. A, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of pre, a peace on earth, goodwill to men. He says, and then from each black accursed mouth, the cannons thundered in the south. Like, I love that image. The, the cannons are a mouth just thundering this noise. He says, the cannons thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The war we were waging against one another, uh, all the hate and evil that we could bring to bear in that moment was drowning out the good news of the angels. It was as if an earthquake rent tore the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And here's his pit, right? He says, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Toe-to-toe -to -toe with his losing battle, he hears the bells because they just keep ringing. But when they ring in this moment, at this time, he hears in a Christmas carol an Easter message. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? He hears that good news, that God is not dead, that there are in Christ are no losing battles. He hears that ring more loud and deep. I, I don't know what your battles are, right? I don't know what losing battle it feels like uh, you're fighting. I don't know if that's a health thing. Uh, I don't know if it's a personal sort of internal struggle. Uh, I don't know if it feels to you like failure or shame or like losing hope, or if it feels like the brokenness of the world is just too much and you've got nothing to bring to like solve any of the problems that you can see right in front of your face. But I want you to hear this morning that your work and your life are not for nothing. Hear that big, beautiful double negative. Hear the good news that your labor is not in vain, that in Christ, there are no losing battles. And so in whatever shadow you're standing in, toe-to-toe -to -toe with whatever it is that you're up against, when you hear the Easter bells peal more loud and deep, may you remember this Easter morning that God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. And may, in those bells, you find the hope you've been looking for, that you are not fighting a losing battle. Because when you labor with God, your work, your life is not for nothing. In Christ, there is no losing battle. Happy Easter, everybody. Amen.